the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardtlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM, The Answer. And later, we'll be on podcasts everywhere. And you can also find us on www.talklawradio.com to stream this episode and previous episodes. You can learn all kinds of things about the law on that website. Uh, today we're going to be talking with Tony Abbott, who is uh, owner and operator of Alpha Graphics. Uh, we'll talk about that and his experience with immigration. So today we're going to be interviewing him about immigration and business and his family business. And the State Bar of Texas wants us to talk about the law but because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with your professional advice. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, Mm -hmm. for doing the wrong thing or failing to do your will. Please help Tony and I talk about business, immigration, and family business law today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. So today's show is with uh, Tony Abbott, who is a quality printer extraordinaire. He runs Alpha Graphics. We'll talk more about Alpha, Gra- Alpha Graphics in just a moment. But we're going to learn about how the Abbott family immigrated to the U.S. from Canada and is building a family business. And you can call in if you have questions or comments about immigration and business by calling 210-308-8867. Or you can post a comment on the Facebook live stream. Just search Facebook for Talk Law Radio and look for the logo, which is Lady Justice in the red, white, and blue colors. You can also uh, email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. Okay, Tony, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Todd. It is a, a real pleasure to be here. Um, this is something that uh, I knew you'd been doing this for a little while. I didn't realize it was three years, uh, but it's so exciting to be your guest today. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Um, I've been printing my business cards with you for a long time, and you might remember that uh, the, the thing that you offered that nobody else in town could was the embossed stamp. Mm-hmm. Yes, Yes, we had, uh, thankfully, our printing business has been around since 1985, sorry, 1983, 
so they had some uh, some fairly traditional printing methods when I purchased it back in 2009. And uh, so one of those things was the embossed um, of bi- embossing of business cards. Another one was the raised ink on business cards, which mm-hmm. is similar to the embossing, but it's a little different process to do that. Um, but anyhow, so yeah, so they had some very unique printing methods that I was, you know, fascinated by. And so when we purchased the business in 2009, I wanted to carry that tradition on and still do some of that, what they call old school printing. So you do old school and new school. Yes, yes. We actually, uh, we do a lot of the digital printing, which is the the new, more modern printing. Um, In uh, about six years ago now, uh, 2015, uh, we actually joined up with the Alpha Graphics franchise. And so at that time, we took on all forms of digital printing, including wide format and flatbed printing. Uh, So now we do just about every kind of printing you can imagine. Okay, we'll talk about that more specifically in just a few minutes. Let's let's go back in time mm. uh, a few more years. Tell us about um, why would somebody want to leave Canada and come to the U.S.? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, honestly, my family and I love Canada. I uh, was born there in uh, 1966, so I lived there for over 40 years and uh, had no issues with Canada. I love Canada. However... We also loved the United States of America, and I think I had mentioned this to you before, but we used to, every chance we got, we would either hop on a plane or we would get in the family vehicle and we would head south, and we would love to come to California. Sometimes we would go all the way to Mexico, but anything we could do to get away from those harsh Canadian winters uh, is uh, is what we would do. So uh, I had a couple of very exciting careers up in Canada, but when the but when the political career ended, uh, we could talk about that in a moment, but when the political career ended, we had been to San Antonio several times for uh, conferences and whatnot, and I said to my wife, we should just take the kids and move there and just be done with winter once and for all. Yeah. <laughs> and so we did. So we came down to, to South Texas, and we've been here for 13 years, and we love it. Just to get some uh, familiarity with, with the audience, uh, tell us a little bit about the the previous uh, careers that you had. Uh, so let, let's start with uh, what was your college education? So I was a uh, I, I have a bachelor of theology. Uh, I went to Christian View Bible College, which is a small college in Ontario, Canada, and uh, graduated there with a bachelor of theology degree, and then uh, immediately went back to my hometown in Alberta and became a youth pastor uh, in our local church. So I did that for about a year and a half. And then uh, about a year and a half after that, the neighboring town had a church that was looking for a pastor, a senior pastor. And so they asked me if I would be willing to come and give it a try for six months. And uh, I think things went well because we ended up staying there for 11 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so we had a great time there. We, we uh, had our three children while we lived there and, uh, and just had a wonderful experience there in the ministry. So this is Christian right? Uh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> Evangelical Covenant is actually an offshoot of the Lutheran Church. Uh, and it's a very strong evangelical, Bible-based, community-oriented uh, church. And so, yes, we were uh, we were the senior pastor. We had a youth pastor. We had a secretary. Congregation of about 150 people, 200 on a good day. Wow! Uh, but that was a big church for a small town. Mm-hmm. The, the whole town was only about you know 600 to a thousand people. So we had most of them coming to church. <laughs> okay. Wow. Yeah, the church I grew up in was about 100. Okay. And when we got to San Antonio, we joined a church that was uh, 700. Mm, mm. But the they had three services, so it was about 300 okay. in a service. And and that was a big church for us. Well, our, our uh, I remember because the odd time you would actually get a Sunday off, we would like to travel into Edmonton, which was our nearest large city. And we went to a church of 700 there. Wow. And it just blew us away, mm-hmm. you know, of a church of that size. I can remember one time I was in the restroom, and these two, two gentlemen were uh, saying hello to each other. And the one said, so how long have you been going here? And he says, two years. He says, how about you? He said, seven years. He said, nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, that's unheard of in a in, small country church. In a church. small church. Everybody yes. knows everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were pastor at that church for 11 years. And then how did the transition occur where you would leave? So what happened was, is our oldest son uh, was getting close to school age. And so I really wanted to start a Christian school. We didn't have one in our area. 
And so myself and a few other pastors, we got together and we just started doing our homework. And and uh, we actually started a, a private Christian school, uh, which ran in the basement of a Baptist church for one year. And then after, during that year, um, I, I also decided that, you know, it, it wasn't very nice paying s- school property taxes and school tuition, uh, private school tuition. So then I started to lobby the government about how could I get some funding from the government for a Christian school. Okay, we'll talk about that after a break. Uh, you're with us on Talk Law Radio. Uh, Tony Abbott is our guest. He's owner of uh, Alpha Graphics. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. could be a nightmare for your family, which is why it's important to meet with an attorney before you go on vacation. Get your affairs in order just in case, God forbid, tragedy strikes and you become disabled or worse happens while traveling. Attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trust, and tax-protected inheritance plans. A living trust might save your family thousands of dollars. Protect what's yours at Marquardt Law Firm, 210-530-4278 little different. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Tony Abbott, who is talking about Alpha Graphics and how he got here to the United States, San Antonio, from Canada. So there are some immigration issues and some family business issues that we'll be talking about with him. Uh, But first, uh, before the break, he mentioned that he was a pastor, and he helped uh, create a new Christian school in his hometown, and he started to lobby the government for funding for the Christian school. So that that brings to mind, in the United States, we have this separation of church and state. Do mm-hmm. you have that in Canada? Well, we don't have that um, specifically written down anywhere. It's definitely a practice. The government tries to stay far away from churches and vice mm-hmm. versa. However... Um, there was nothing in any of the statutes that we could find that said it was it was uh, illegal for the government to fund faith-based schools. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, as we started to do our research, we found out that there was a Hebrew school uh, in the city of Edmonton, which is our, our nearest large city, and it was a faith-based school that was receiving full government funding. So basically, we used that as a piggyback or as an example to say to the government, you can't say no. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what a lawyer does when right. he finds precedence. <laughs> right. And so we said, you can't say no to us because there's already one here. And so they said, well, we'll let you have it for one year, one school, one year. Anyhow, to make a wonderful long story short, uh, there's now hundreds of fully funded Christian schools in the province of Alberta uh, because of that one trial year going so well. And so you got that Christian school started and you got it funded uh, How did that lead to something else for you? So then politically, now all of a sudden we're part of the public school program. So I decided that I should probably run for the public school board uh, to keep an eye on my quote-unquote baby, Mm -hmm. you know, that we had given birth to. And so anyhow, so I I ran for the public school board. I got elected, loved my uh, one term that I served on the board. But while I was there, I noticed that the real funding for education came from the provincial level. So that would be like the state level or the state okay. legislature here. So I decided to throw my hat in the ring and, and uh, ran for, for office uh, for the provincial legislature and got elected and uh, served my first term, decided to run again, served my second term, and uh, just had a great uh, two terms in the Alberta legislature. Okay. And so after that second term, um, you decided to move to the United States. Well, I I actually love being in the legislature and I did feel effective there for the most part. Uh, however, uh, the mayor of my largest city decided that she also would like to be in that mm-hmm. position. And so she basically garnered a huge amount of following for the primary and she uns, uns, you know took away my opportunity to run again. Yeah. And so once you've been kind of the top dog, so to speak, in a small town, it's very hard to stick around there because everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're that guy that used to be somebody, (laughs) you know. And so I said to my wife, I said, you know, honey, we've always wanted to move to a warmer climate. 
We've been to San Antonio a few times. We had some timeshare here at Canyon Lake. Uh, we said, why don't we just move down there permanently? And the kids were just at that perfect age where we knew if we moved them then, uh, they would have to come with us. They couldn't stay. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that we could you know, get them down here and they could put some roots down here and, and meet new friends. And, and so we did that and we moved to San Antonio in 2009. And in order to move here, that's where the immigration part comes in. You really need to own a business if you don't have living relatives in the United States. And so we looked around for a viable business, and we finally found one in the printing business. And uh, that's what gave us the ability, uh, you know, the, the permission, so to speak, uh, to move down into the U.S. So the, in immigration, uh, there are lots of different types of visas, right? Yes. And some are non-immigrant visas, and some are immigrant visas, and some you become a permanent resident, and some you don't. So... Uh, Describe for us what what it was like to go through that process. Okay, well, it was a very uh, involved process. Um, we had to, we had a, an immigration attorney in Canada. He was actually from Vancouver. Um, he had offices in Vancouver and Seattle, uh, so that was his thing. He, mm -hmm. All he did was help Canadians immigrate to to the U.S. And so he, we had to go through many different background checks and all kinds of forms and all kinds of things we had to fill out. We had to prove ourselves financially. We had to actually find a business that we could buy before they would grant us the visa. And so we looked at many, many different businesses down here in the San Antonio, er San Antonio area. We finally found this printing business, and the lady who owned it at that time was very politically involved and had a lot of political connections. And, of course, myself being a politician, she said, oh, this would be the perfect business for you. You mm -hmm. could just fit right into all of my political circles and oh, you know, okay. take over all my positions. And so that really intrigued us. So we, we picked this business. At that time, it was called Presto Printing. And uh, we, we bought the business. And uh, so our immigration attorney finalized all the paperwork. And finally, one day, just sitting there, like waiting to win the lottery almost, mm -hmm. they said, you can go. And so we, we got all in. We, everybody got in the vehicle and we headed down. We didn't even bring our stuff with us oh. when we first moved down here. We just jumped in the Durant. I think we had a did we have a Durango? We had a Durango at that time. Mm -hmm. So we all jumped in the Durango and we drove down to the United States and, and uh, moved into a motel. Didn't have a home yet or anything. Wow. Yes. And so we um, so were down here with nothing and uh, we're looking for a Christian school, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyhow, we found a great Christian school out in Balverde, Bracken Christian School. And uh, while we're enrolling the kids, we met this fella who said, are you looking for a place to live? And we said, yes, we are. He said, well, I have a home right across the road from the school. And he says, the only problem is, he says, it's fully furnished. Uh, because he said, we, uh, you know, we moved to in town, and he says, mm -hmm. we didn't want to take any of our stuff. I said, well, all my stuff is up in Canada. <laughs> I said, this is a miracle. It's, it's a blessing. Uh -huh. And so anyhow, we moved into an absolutely gorgeous ranch home, 5,000 square feet on 18 acres in Balverde, Texas, with literally the forks in the drawer, wow. the plates in the cupboard, and the towels in the linen closet. <laughs> so it was just a gift from God. Wow, that's an amazing testimony. Now, when, when I was thinking about you moving from Canada to the U.S., I, I was wondering, uh, is the culture the same in Canada like it is in the U.S., where um, I would never leave the United States because uh, I, I'm sort of nationalistic about it. I, I love the United States. I, I'm a patriot. Mm -hmm. And so uh, do Canadians have that same feeling there? Well, Canadians definitely love Canada. It's not the same patriotism that we've experienced down here. Uh, Canadians are very private about their um, emotions, about their faith, about their, their patriotism. They're very, very uh, private about that. I don't know what okay. other word to say. Um, but it, there is sort of a quiet patriotism that happens there. However, um, Western Canada, where I'm from, also had a love affair with the United States. Uh, most of the people from Western Canada, when they're going on a vacation, they go to the southern U.S. Um, a lot of the business dealings happen uh, north-south more so than uh, than east-west. Oh, so, I see. Yeah, so, you, so in Alberta, Canada, um, we had much more business relations and much more uh, communication and just flows of, of uh, energy between the U.S. and Canada than we did have between Western Canada and Eastern Canada. Eastern Canada was kind of seen as a, a kind of a mean big brother, and mm -hmm. so, uh, so nobody really wanted to associate with Eastern Canada. Uh, that was Quebec and Ontario, and that was sort of the power base, and they sort of seen uh, the West as this, you know, 
uh, little child that they didn't need to pay any attention mm-hmm. to. So, so for that reason, Alberta made a great relationship with, you know, Montana, Wyoming, of course, Texas with the oil, uh, Houston. Houston and Calgary had tremendous uh, partnerships in a lot of the oil uh, mm-hmm. business. And uh, so, yeah, so we just uh, – people in Canada just love the U.S. and we love the U.S. And we thought, wouldn't it be something if we could actually move there someday? So we had nothing against Canada. Wow. We loved it. But there was that one little problem that Canada has that the U.S., at least southern U.S., doesn't. Mm-hmm. Cold weather. Cold weather. <laughs> winter. Six months of freezing cold winter. And that's something that we just did not like. And we thought if there's any way we could escape that, we would want to do it. And guess what? We found San Antonio and we just love the weather here. I know you say it's hot in the summer, but until I've lived here for 40 years, I'm never going to complain about the heat. Mm-hmm. What was it like uh, assimilating uh, to San Antonio and Texas and United States? Well, it was – even though the cultures are very, very similar, there's also a lot of things that are very, very different. And so uh, my kids, for example, they had a little bit of a tough time – uh, singing songs like I, I'm proud to be an American and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing the Thanksgiving stuff that they do in the schools. And, and, uh, and, they, and there was a lot of th- issues where my kids had a little bit of trouble fitting in. Uh, but then they started to assimilate finally over the years. And now they also love it here and, and feel that they're more American than they are Canadian. But I mean, as far as the culture, to be honest, the assimilating was very, very easy. Um, our accents are very similar f- between Alberta and, and Texas. And there was a few words we had to learn, process versus process. And, oh, you know, I there see. was a few flag, bag, tag. Those, <laughs> those, are the, those, those are the ones that we had to get keep catching ourselves on. Uh, but no, in, honest, in all honesty, the cultures were very, very similar. The people here are extremely friendly and welcoming. And so we just found ourselves fitting right in right away. Yeah, I found that with San Antonio in particular, not every U.S. city has the friendliness that San Antonio has. You've probably seen that because you said you did travel all over the U.S. Yes, we spent a lot of time searching, so to speak, for where we wanted to to, to lay to lay our you know hang our hat. Uh, and so we looked at Southern California. We loved it there, but we just felt that it was too liberal politically. Uh, we looked at um, other states. Uh, we really we really liked Arizona. Um, Arizona was just a little bit too dry and hot. And again, I, I love the heat, but it was just so dry there. And, and the other thing that I also love was the ocean. And uh, Arizona, as you know, is landlocked. And mm-hmm. so we couldn't get to the ocean from there. So when we found San Antonio, we thought this has got the perfect climate, two hours to the beach. Mm-hmm. We got the, it's, it's heaven on earth. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the business. Um, the, the type of visa that you have required you to invest in a business, but it also allowed you to bring your whole family because they were your dependents, right? Correct. Because they were all at that time under 21, um, the, the way the E-2, we have what's called the E-2 investors visa. Mm-hmm. And so the E-2 investors visa meant that you and all your dependents all got E-2 visas. So when, when I applied, it was an automatic visa for the whole family. And so they were all allowed to come down with me, thankfully. And, and uh, we did, uh, you know, everybody operated on that visa. Once my oldest son turned 21, uh, he had to then apply for his own visa. And so he did. He got his own E2 investors visa now as an adult instead of as a dependent. Uh, my daughter, because when she graduated high school, she stayed here and went to school. So she got, I think it's called an F1 visa for the students, mm-hmm. um, for Canadian students studying here. So she got an F1 visa. She spent four years at UTSA and then another four years at Midwestern uh, College in Arizona to become a dentist. So for those eight years, she had an F1 visa. And, uh, and then um, my youngest son, uh, he, once he graduated from university, he actually became a school teacher at his former school. And so he got a um, TN, a temporary national visa, it's called. So okay. that's a visa that's good for up to three years. So we all have to renew our visas, even my wife and I, mm-hmm. every two to three years, depending on what kind of visa we have. So yeah. there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of involvement and actually a lot of cost. Still. Still, yes. Yeah. Well, your oldest son, Taylor, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. he was a hockey player. Yes. And so when you when you were talking about the visa that he had, I was thinking 
uh, the the professional athlete visa. <laughs> yes, there is. Yeah, there's a professional athlete visa that if you're a hockey player that plays for money, you can get that one. Uh, but he was actually just in the junior ranks. Oh, okay. And so he was – because he was under 21, um, so he didn't actually need it at that time. At that time, he was still under E1. Um, so he played here for a year in San Antonio when they had the junior A team, the Diablos. Uh, he played in California for a year, and then he – uh, when he turned 21, he played in Quebec, uh, Canada. And so he played there for a year. And then uh, when he came back it's when, to join me in the business is when he had to apply for his own E2 investor's visa. So now that Taylor's an owner, he's sort of becoming the face of Alpha Graphics in San Antonio. We'll talk about that more, the, biz- the family aspect of the business uh, when we come back. So stay tuned. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer and podcasts everywhere. You can also find these episodes on TalkLawRadio.com and Facebook Live. We've been talking with Tony Abbott, who is a part owner of Alpha Graphics. It's a professional quality printing and we're going to talk about the other members of his family that are involved in the business. So, Tony, uh, you started this business, and now it's really a full-fledged family business. How did that come about? So, yes, when we purchased the business in 2009, um, it was called Presto Printing at that time. It was an independent printing business. Uh, The lady who owned it at that time, she had started it from scratch and uh, built it into a very strong business with a million dollars a year plus in sales. And uh, and she was just ready to retire, so, you know, getting older. So we purchased it from her. And we just didn't have that same business knowledge and savvy that, that she had. And so the business actually declined for about the first six years uh, that we owned it. And uh, every year it was going down, and I was getting more and more concerned. And, and uh, at, at that time, like I said, my son Taylor was out playing hockey. Uh, then when he finally decided that his hockey career was over, he was looking for something to do. And so I offered him you know, basically uh, to write his own ticket to come mm-hmm. and work with me in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, he was a pretty shy guy. Most hockey players are pretty shy and pretty introverted because they just focus on one thing, getting that puck in the net. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyhow, so he was pretty shy, but he came in and he started very quietly, you know, researching everything and looking at everything. And he came to me one day and he said, Dad, he said, you know, he said, everywhere I eat, everywhere I shop, everything I do is a franchise. He said, us young people like franchises. He said, I find that all the businesses that are flourishing nowadays are a franchise. He said, I think we should join a franchise. And I said to him, that's all on you because I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. So okay. he started to research. He found Alpha Graphics amongst all the other ones that were out there. And he said he felt this was the best one that we could join. So we joined up with Alpha Graphics. Um, again, there was a, a lot of cost and a lot of training and a lot of involvement that went with that. Uh, but we were glad to do it. And uh, that's when we took on the wide format and the making of the signs and banners. And, and we got the big flatbed where we could do, um, you know, very large format printing. And uh, once we started to do that, the business just went up exponentially. Wow. Yes, to the, to the degree where we actually, about four months ago, we purchased a second location, another Alpha Graphics uh, franchise that was for sale over on the Starcrest uh, near the airport. And so now we're doing, between the two, we're doing much more than $2 million a year in sales. So the businesses are, are doing great, and, uh, and really it's because of my son's involvement who went from this shy hockey player to a very outgoing uh, sales guy who could you know, pretty much sell uh, ice to an Eskimo, as they wow. say. <laughs> yes. So he was, he was a, very, uh, a very outgoing fella because he started to take all these training courses and he started to take all of these uh, sales, you know, read these sales books and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so he was just able to really expand the business through his, just through his uh, you know, hard work and effort. Wow, that's a, a great testimony to a successful family business. Uh, 
sometimes running a family business is difficult because you have a family member that doesn't put in the work. But in your case, uh, you were pleasantly surprised to see him putting more effort and helping it really take off. Yes, thankfully he takes after my wife, and he's very, very, <laughs> he's very dedicated. He gets there at six o'clock every morning. Uh, he's put in two or three hours of work before anybody else shows up, and he's usually the last one to leave at night. So, um, so yeah, he is very, very dedicated, like his mother. She's also a very hard worker. Um, after about the first year, when sales really began to decline, um, I had to let go of some staff, so I brought my wife into the business. So she's there with us as well, full time every day, and uh, she's an extremely hard worker, and so. Uh, between her and my son, and we now have 15 employees. Uh, so between that crew, we're able to uh, to get everybody uh, satisfied for the most part. Sometimes we take a little too long to get the Marquardt orders out, but we, yeah. we work hard to get them done. Well, when you're busy and you have lots of customers, uh, that that's one of the results is uh, you gotta you got to wait a little while. So Taylor's doing well in the business, and he's now got some ownership in the company. So when we purchased the second location, because, again, of the immigration issue, Mm -hmm. um, myself being an E2 investor's visa, I was not eligible for a SBA loan, Small Business Administration loan. Um, Taylor, in the meantime, has been married to an American gal for about five years now. And so I think it was two years or three years after they were married, he applied for his permanent resident or his green card. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was granted that, so he got a green card, which in the uh, government's eyes and in the banker's eyes is the same thing as an American citizenship. Okay. And so Taylor was able to qualify for a small business administration loan. And so therefore, when we purchased the new location, we put it 100% in his name. Oh, okay. Yes. And so the way we operate it, so I technically own 100% of our first location. He technically owns 100% of our second location, but we really just run them as one large business. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, it's great to hear of a successful family enterprise. Tell us what uh, what role does your wife serve there? So she is kind of the glue that holds everybody together. Uh, as you know, with fifteen employees, you can get a lot of friction, mm-hmm. and so um, so she's just my wife is a uh, a typical Canadian, outgoing, friendly, uh, hugs everybody, loves everybody, and so she just keeps everybody happy and keeps everybody uh, you know. Uh, communicating and talking with each other. She keeps the jobs moving throughout our, our different various stages that they have to go through. Um, her primary role is is what we call proofing. Uh, somebody has to put those last set of eyes on everything before you print it to make sure it's all mm-hmm. spelled correctly, mm-hmm. to make sure it all looks right. And so that's kind of her primary role as the proofer. Uh, but she also helps with the wide format, making signs. Um, she also helps with, uh, you know, just pretty much any kind of packaging or whatever needs to happen she's kind of that person that can go around and do pretty much anybody's job so so that's what she does okay so we've got these two locations why don't you tell our listeners uh specifically how to get in touch with you is it best to go to your website so yes there's actually four alpha graphics uh franchises in town they're all independently owned um so the two that we own which we would hope you would call uh, the one is on West Avenue, so it's uh, 2714 West Avenue. Um, we Our website is Alpha Graphics US 770 uh, for that location, and that location does basically everything. Um, we, we specialize in small formats, so the printing of business cards, letterhead envelopes, uh, NCR forms, anything small. We also do signs and banners there. Uh, but the new location that we purchased in March, which is at 12077 Starcrest, actually specializes in vehicle wraps and the more of the larger uh, printing that, that is out there, larger signs. Um, but we do a lot of vehicle wraps at that location, and, and uh, it's just a, a great location if you need some decals or if you need some signs. or We do a lot of wall graphics there. We've been doing a lot of schools this summer. Um, and so, yeah, the, if you, if you'd like to spruce up your business or maybe get your, your face noticed out there on a vehicle, your business noticed on a vehicle, then we can take care of that for you. Something related to printing got me thinking about the gospel. Mm. And, and since you're a theologian, I, I thought you might have a take on this. Um, being that my background is, uh, Lutheran, uh, I thought back, well, the, the, printing press is really what helped uh, the Reformation uh, expand uh, across the world. And so um, you you had talked about some of the old school printing. Um, give us your take on 
uh, printing and the Reformation. Yes, boy, that's that's a great connection. You know, it's funny because as a printer, you forget this is what actually did help spread the gospel throughout the world. Um, I want to say 1611, the first King James Bible. I might be a little bit fuzzy on that date, but um, but I remember when the Bible was first printed on the Gutenberg Press, it was literally, it changed the world because it, it, it allowed people to get out there with the gospel and to, and to make it readily available to every single person. In their own language. In their own language, yes. So yes, that... Uh, uh, that Gutenberg printing press was was actually, I'm sure it was, you know, directed by God and by the Holy Spirit so that the, the gospel could be preached throughout the world. And so we're very thankful whenever we, we do printing for churches, we do a lot of that. Uh, anytime we do printing for, you know, any kind of Christian uh, events, I, I'm a strong supporter of the Justice Foundation, uh, you know, ch- uh, Cross Trail Outfitters, which is a youth outreach program. Um, I do all kinds of printing for those organizations, and you just feel like you're spreading the gospel right. you know, when, you, when you get to print that great stuff. Great. I'm glad that you knew something about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what I was reading, uh, just to catch myself up about it, um, prior to having the printing press, most of the gospel was just uh, by word of mouth, and it, it was in Latin, uh, through the Catholic Church, and um, so making it available in everybody's own language really helped spread things faster. Yes, it did. Yeah, the, the back way back when they first started, you know, transcribing the Bible, it was done by monks in a monastery where they would just very meticulously, you know, uh, copy the scriptures from mm-hmm. from page to page to page, and and uh, and so it was something that was a very very slow process to get the gospel out. But then once that printing press was invented and it was able to get out there, um, it was just something that revolutionized people's ability to share the gospel. And it gave people the opportunity to open their own eyes and make their own decisions about their own faith. Um, whereas prior to that, it was often just dictated to them by the church, and in this sense, the, the Catholic church, as to what they should and should not believe. Mm-hmm. But when the Bible became available to everybody, then people started to really uh, have their own personal faith and really understand uh, the gospel in a, in a much more detailed way. A personal connection between them and Christ instead of through a a priest. Correct. Yes. And that's what it's all about. Today, uh, that's one of the the best things we can do is just read the Bible, you know, uh, talk to God and make those uh, personal connections ourselves. Amen. We got to take one more break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about legacy, among other things. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Probate could be a nightmare for your family, which is why it's important to meet with an attorney before you go on vacation. Get your affairs in order just in case, God forbid, tragedy strikes and you become disabled or worse happens while traveling. Attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trust, and tax-protected inheritance plans. A living trust might save your family thousands of dollars. Protect what's yours at Marquardt Law Firm, 210-530-4278. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here with Tony Abbott, who's owner of two locations of Alpha Graphics here in San Antonio. We've been talking about uh, printing and his immigration path from Canada to the United States. And that reminded me that I like to give definitions of things on the air. Uh, It's part of my role as an attorney because uh, I had this professor uh, probably 17 or 18 years ago in law school who said that words matter. You have to use the right words. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I was a little bit confused about the, the different words, immigrate with an I and immigrate with an E. And so how, how do you remember the difference between immigrate and immigrate? And I found this great website called Grammarly.com, and it says, Immigrate begins with the letter I. If you associate I with N, you can remember that immigrate means to move into a different country. Emigrate with 
beginning with an E, you can associate it with the word exit. You'll remember it means to leave your home country. So an example, quote, Canadians who marry someone from abroad shouldn't have to wait for years to have them immigrate with an I or be left with uncertainty in terms of their ability to stay, says John McCollum, Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship, end quote. Another example, quote, former Deal or No Deal star Noel Edmonds is planning to leave Bristol and emigrate with an E, according to reports, end quote. It's a great way to remember that, right? I love that. I for in and E for exit. Yeah. So we emigrated from Canada, and now we are immigrants in America. Yes, exactly. <laughs> great lesson. Okay, so we're in our fourth segment, and Marquardt Law Firm uh, sponsors our show, and listeners know what that means. And now, it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy <laughs> Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. Okay, Tony, so I tried to give you a heads up on this. Uh, some people uh, who might be quiet or, or private um, get real uneasy when I ask them about legacy, but you you have such a a great story from where you've come and where you've been and and where you're going and everything that you've accomplished. I, I think that you could talk about anything here, um, but because Marquardt Law Firm focuses on business and estate law, including last wills and living trusts. The central idea is legacy. How are people going to remember us? Or how are we remembering somebody that came before us? Sometimes that's um, a family heirloom, and sometimes it's just the lessons that we've learned or that we definitely want to leave behind. When you think of legacy, how would you talk about it? So. Of course, the, when you first talked to me about, you know, we're going to have a segment about legacy, the very first thing that popped into, my, popped into my mind was my faith and leaving my faith to my kids and making sure that my mm -hmm. kids have a personal faith. And so that's what it's all about. And right now I'm thankful and very happy to say that all three of my kids have a personal relationship with Christ. And so to me, that is the best legacy that anybody could Amen. ever leave. Amen. Um, however, we know that it takes more than that and you need to go beyond that as far as you know, what you want to leave with your kids. And so, of course, that, that Christian faith and Christian values are the most important. Uh, but then we also want to leave the legacy of a great work ethic and the legacy of just being a good citizen. Um, and so now that we are here in the United States, uh, we do work very, very hard uh, to provide a, a good standard of living for my wife and I, for our son and his family, uh, as well as for our, our employees. And I feel that the, the it's very, very important in a legacy to have that on paper. And I know that when I first met you many, many years ago, Todd, you and I used to go to a, a morning breakfast meeting, mm -hmm. and uh, we used to tell everybody in that meeting about our businesses. Um, at that time, Todd was uh, promoting the importance of wills and estates. And so I had Todd draw up a will yeah. for me. Yeah. And uh, yes, and so I didn't really think it was that important because I was young and I was working hard and I didn't at that point have a whole lot. And so I thought, oh, this isn't important. But Todd just made it very clear how important it is that you have your, um, your wishes on paper. Right. And that it's accessible for people if, you know, something tragic should happen to you. And and so my hope and my prayer is is that, you know, as, as we have built up these businesses over the years, that we would be able to leave that to our kids, you know, in a fair and equal way, and that they would be able to, to build on that in their future. Great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, that reminds me, not all of the kids are in the business. Um, you said your daughter became a dentist. Right. Yes, yes, my daughter. So going to the Christian school out in Bracken, they were afforded some opportunities that other kids wouldn't have had. And uh, so when she was younger, she got to go and visit a lot of the different medical uh, facilities around um, the Bracken area. And a lot of the kids that went to that school, their parents were doctors. And, and so she just got to really be exposed to the medical profession more so than maybe a, a normal kids would. Mm -hmm. And so she thought about becoming a doctor because she was very, very smart. 
Uh, but then she realized that doctors have to work evenings and weekends. And she didn't want to do that because yeah. our family time is very, very important. And we always promoted, you know, being together as a family on the weekends and in the evenings. And so she found out that dentists could pretty much pick their own hours. Mm -hmm. And so that's what she did. She went to dental school and became a dentist. And now she lives in Houston and works in Katy. Uh, but she picks her own hours. She gets, I like uh, that. yeah, she pr gets almost every Friday off. Uh, when she does go in on Friday, she only works till noon. So it just gives her lots of uh, uh, time, you know, to be with her family. Yeah, not every culture values nights and weekends and and time with family. Some other cultures they they value the work more, and and they will work you know, nine to nine. Yes. Well, my young, my oldest son who works with me in the business, um, him and his wife don't have any kids. They have two dogs, but no kids. And so he still puts in those 12 hour mm -hmm. days, but he knows when the kids come along, it's time to, you know, spend time with the family. So he's yeah. very, very aware of that. My youngest son uh, is an IT guy. He was a school teacher at that Bracken Christian school where he graduated. Um, and then now he's just become a full-time IT guy. And so he, of course, as a teacher, we always tease him about this, but they get a lot of time off. <laughs> and so, okay. so he's able to spend a lot of time, you know, just in his developing his, his personal faith and developing his friendships and, and that kind of thing. Good. Yes. Yeah, that's a very interesting family dynamic there that, that you've taught them. Um, think back, what are some lessons that that you learned? Can you point to a person that, that taught you your work ethic so besides again, your wife? Well, again, <laughs> uh, well, my mother is a very, very hard worker. She's a German, uh, German heritage like yourself. And, and she just was, she just believed in work, 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 work. And my dad was a very, very hard worker as well. And so my parents actually owned a family business when I was growing up. They owned a service station restaurant. And so I learned how to deal with the public and how to talk to people and how to, you know, be friendly to strangers and that kind of thing. And so um, even when I was a pastor and even when I was a politician, I always said, you know, someday I'd like to own my own business. Mm -hmm. And so um, I always felt like I had it in me. You know, it's just one of those things you have to do to kind of right. prove it to yourself. And uh, so, yeah, so when we purchased the, uh, the printing business, I thought, okay, pastor, uh, politician, Printer. <laughs> so maybe next I'll be a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but obviously something with a P. Uh, but anyhow, so no, we just, uh, yeah, the, the work ethic was passed on to us uh, from, from, from my mom and dad. My wife was raised on a farm, so her parents were both very, very hard workers. And in fact, even today when I was coming here, I had to say to her, just take the morning off, honey. She was trying to line up a whole bunch of tasks for herself to do uh, while I was gone. And, and I said to her, just do nothing. And she couldn't do it. She had to plan. She was going to cut the grass. She was going to clean this. She was going to do that. She was going to fix mm -hmm. this because that's just in the blood, I guess. Yeah. Well, those are great lessons for legacy. And it's great to have it written down uh, so that there, it's clear and so that there's no confusion about that. And same thing with the, the business planning. Uh, entrepreneurs, they have to have their businesses in order on paper and uh, so that everybody's understanding is, is uh, clear. So I'm glad that you brought that up as well. Um, one thing I, I wanted to go back to was uh, some of the things that Taylor's doing. Um, I see him on social media a lot, and so I wanted to to give him a shout out in case anybody wants to connect with Alpha Graphics uh, through social media. Uh, he, he does a podcast occasionally. Um, you can find him on uh, This Is TCAB7 uh, just by Googling his podcast. Uh, you can find uh, Taylor on Instagram. Same thing. This is uh, TCAB7. Uh, you can find him on Facebook and Twitter the same way, YouTube. And then I found uh, Alpha Graphics West location on Instagram. Just search for Alpha Graphics West AV, A-V-E. And on Facebook, AG stands for Alpha Graphics, AG West AV. So that's a way to connect with Alpha Graphics on social media. And printing is still alive and well. Well, that's one of the greatest things about joining Alpha Graphics because it really, when I only did small format and when I only used those old printing methods, I really did feel that it was declining. 
but when we joined up with Alpha Graphics, it was just suddenly so cutting edge. That's when Taylor got into the social media. He started that podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called The Dirty Kitchen. Uh, he did that one for a few uh, few years with his sales guys uh, where they believe that the best way to be a, a great chef is just to be able to throw everything in the pot. And, and if it ends up with a dirty kitchen, it just means that you're, you're, you know, you're really thinking outside the box. And so that's what he called his, his podcast. And it was really about sales, <laughs> sales, technique, t- sales techniques and uh, how to, uh, how to you know, really increase your, your monthly sales. And so he did that for a few years, and now he, um, you know, he also meets with these other uh, great sales guys and gurus and, and learns a lot from them. Uh, so, so yeah, we, we, actually, <laughs> we actually have just had a great time with all the new technology that Alpha Graphics uh, puts out there. Uh, and so we're just really looking forward to what the future brings. Printing is is a whole new world now with all of the you know the websites and the and the uh, digital marketing and, and the different digital products that that are available. Sorry about that. Our show is coming to a close, and it's a good thing because I'm getting all choked up. <laughs> so you heard it here with Todd and Tony on Talk Law Radio. We'll talk to you later. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.